Welcome, Calvary Quakertown. As usual, it's great to have you with us this morning. And it is my pleasure to uh, invite and to welcome Dan Emmer to the platform this morning. Dan is the executive director of Worthwhile Wear, which if you don't know about, you'll learn about in the next couple of minutes. And I know Dan is familiar to many of you. Many of you know Dan. But Dan, for those of our congregation that may not know you, why don't you give us a detailed sketch of your entire life from birth till today in like a minute? Okay, I'm touched that you want to know that much about me. Uh, so I was born in Portland, Oregon. I'm a West Coast baby. Oh, wait, you don't, you weren't serious. Good, good coffee, you, you though, right? Okay, you weren't serious about that. Um, but, you know, my family and I, uh, my wife Stephanie is here, and my, my children, Danny, who's 11, my daughter Anna, who's seven, they're here with us. Uh, Stephanie and I have attended here uh, before even we were married for about 14 years now. Um, but before even attending here, I grew up in Telford, uh, right up on Ridge Road. And uh, at the age of 12, uh, my parents uprooted us, and we went to the mission field. So I actually grew up as a missionary kid in Ukraine um, shortly after the Iron Curtain had fallen. And um, was there from age 12 to 18 years old. Then came back, uh, studied business, and uh, right out of college started working for an engineering company um, where uh, I, I basically work with large clients, uh, being uh, sales and marketing, logistical planning. And then from there, uh, made a, a career choice to, to follow uh, God into the service of worthwhile wear. Great. Now, there's a nasty rumor running around that I want to clear up this morning, okay? I've heard that you really didn't come to Calvary Church for the great preaching. You came here following a girl that you eventually misstepped. Is that right? Well, I mean, that's, that's a lie, right? I think it's a pretty valiant, it's a, it's a good reason to be here. I mean, it's not the only reason, but yes. I mean, and, and there's the, the, you know, my beautiful wife is the reason I originally came. And uh, yeah, so I don't know what else you want to say about it. I mean, I, I don't feel guilty about it. <laughs> well, let, let me uh, give you all a little bit of a background into how I'm, um, Dan's career path kind of merged with one of our priorities here at Calvary Church. We have a number of priorities. Uh, during the announcements, we talked a little bit about our urban priority and the different facets thereof. We also have as a priority that our community center priority. We want our campus to not be for our use. We want to put our facility and our campus into play for the benefit of the larger community. And so the purchase of the Anders property, for example, goes to our community center priority, putting our resources into play for the benefit of our local community. And another priority that we have is the justice priority. And uh, the justice priority, probably uh, more clearly than the others, um, kind of show how we think about priorities. When we mention a priority or when we bring a priority on, onto the playing field, we don't have a detailed plan as to what all the steps are going to be. We use the words experimentation and exploration. We kind of have a trajectory of a direction that we believe God wants us to go, but we're not going to know the details until we walk that out a little bit. Well, that kind of is how the justice priority went. So, Dan, why don't you take the justice priority from there and explain how worthwhile wear and all that stuff kind of came to be. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what's so neat is to see how God works and how his plans come together. Because when we at the same time as a family were seeking to step out in faith and, and start this ministry of worthwhile wear, we were seeking... Um, a partner in that sense, as, as at the same time Calvary was. And so Worthwhile Wear, we started actually in India with the purpose of providing the employment piece, teaching women how to make clothing. That's why we have the name Worthwhile Wear. And that clothing and opportunity for them to be employed was a way to get out of trafficking, uh, uh, human trafficking, sex trafficking, and stay out of it. But then we understood that the issue wasn't just an overseas issue. It wasn't something far away. Human trafficking forced prostitution 
happens in our communities here in Bucks and Montgomery County. And from that, we developed a program, which again was in partnership and as a mission field only five miles from here, a program called The Well, where we provide long-term care and services to women in our area uh, that have been exploited and been forced into prostitution. And so our partnership essentially was getting consultation from the senior leadership team, meeting with them, uh, working with many of you. I look across this auditorium, I see many of you that had volunteered at the, at the well as we restored that building, as we created an education and counseling center, as we launched stores, and some of you volunteer and drive and are mentors. And so that's what a partnership looks like, is you getting involved and being part of this ministry with us. Great. Uh, well, Dan, I, I know you well enough to know that you always got, have a couple of ideas you're working on, some new plans. So what's going on new or what's new at the well and how, that's how is that working out thus far? Yeah, so each year, I mean, our goal is to always reach more women, to impact more women, provide services to them. And one thing we realize in, in that we have the, the house, the well property, and we only have a limited amount of beds, but we'd often get calls or referrals, and we knew the, the need was far greater than what we were offering there. And, and so we started talking with others, other service providers, talking with our district attorney's office, and started to understand that there's a need within the community. And so for about a year, a little over a year, we started planning on how can we provide services to more women if we don't have the bed for them or they're not maybe ready for a long-term housing program. And so in April of this year, we launched a new program called Worth It. And essentially what we do is we take the services that we offer the women at the well, we take them out to the community. And Worth It is essentially an outreach-based, uh, community-based outreach program, empowerment program for women that have been sexually exploited, who had been forced into prostitution, who told they were valueless, they were worthless. And instead we say, no, you are loved, you are valued, you are worth it. And we're excited to have that. We actually had our first graduating class this July, and the next class session will start in, in about six weeks. And this is a, is a program that revolves and keeps going on so we can help more and more women each time and continue to help them in their walk and their recovery. Great. Well, hopefully this morning has been a good reminder to you thus far that the church is the only organization in the world that does not exist for its own benefit. It exists for the benefit of others. And so whether that's our urban priority, whether that's what happens outside our campus, whether that happen, happens what's on our campus in a community center, whether that's, happened, ha, whether that's what's happening through worthwhile wear in the well, we exist as a church, Calvary Church, not for our own benefit and comfort, but for the benefit of others outside. Well, Dan's going to give us a top 10, his top 10. Uh, one of your just top one, ten, just, just one, one. <laughs> in the next few minutes. But before uh, he does that, let me, let me pray. Father, thank you for um, the various ministries that you allow us to be part of here at Calvary Church. Thank you, Lord, for the living examples that we have of being a benefit to others that are not part of our community and not part of our church community. And so, Lord, I pray that you would encourage us and may the, that priority even advance and grow as we move into the future, realizing that ultimately we're not end users, we're just conduits of what you allow us to experience. Lord, we ask that you would encourage us through what Dan says, challenge us as well, so that we're able to make some changes, not just in our thinking, but in our living, because we've gathered this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It's it's great privilege for me to be here. And um, I love this series, the top 10 series, because it gives us a chance to kind of delve a little deeper into a single verse, something that's impacted someone else, and unpack it 
and then review it and see how it can play a role in our lives. And so this morning, when I think about, for me, what was a verse, something that helps me orient Almost every day I have to think about what is, what is it I need to be focusing on. And it really, for me, it's having the right perspective. And so this morning we'll be talking about the right perspective and what are the results when we have that correct and that right perspective. You know, I think when we think about people, great people, men and women, that have had the right perspective, we may think of and highlight those like uh, Martin Luther King Jr., right, in the Civil Rights Movement, or perhaps Winston Churchill, and in World War II regards to that, or Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. And when we think about them, and the reason they come to mind is because they had a different perspective, a broader view, and their goal was to do something that affected others beyond themselves in a positive way. And so when we think that, though, it's, it's great, it's a great idea, but it's, it's hard to understand how do we do that? How can we have that right perspective? And something for me, to help me think in a, in a proper way, there's a quote or a saying um, that was taken from an ancient Greek poet, right? His name is Archilochus, and he had this little saying. It says, a fox knows many things, but a hedgehog one important thing. Now, this isn't, this isn't theology. You don't have to write it in the margins of your Bible. It has many different interpretations, but it's something that helps me at least think in a different way. And the way I interpret it is the fox, right, when it comes to mealtime, he has a lot of options. He can go after a, a rabbit or, or a squirrel or perhaps even a hedgehog. And he has all these before him. But the hedgehog, if he's being chased by the fox, he has one important thing to know. One overarching theme running through his mind. And what is that? Don't get eaten, right? And I think if we take that idea and we overlay it on us in our lives, we can understand how maybe this is a way for us to view things around us. Because we, we oftentimes like that fox, right? We have so many lenses being put in front of us, so many inputs from the world around us saying, you need to see things this way. You need to hear it this way. You need to view it the way I see it. And before we know it, we have all these lenses in front of us distorting our view to where it becomes unclear. But instead, what we need to have is that one important thing in mind, that eternal view, that lens, that perspective, to see the world as God sees it. And so we, we are reminded of that. But understand that when we, we want to have that viewpoint, we're oftentimes still distracted by the world. I myself find myself struggling in times of uncertainty, not knowing what next step I should take. Even in our ministry, we've been struggling as we've been trying to financially get in a stronger position and move forward again and, and, and change things with some senior staff and working to make this ministry better and stronger. And then I, I find myself uncertain of what to do next. And I had a staff person share with me a sermon and they said, you need to watch this online and, and, and it'll be an encouragement to you. And it was. And it was a sermon that was titled, Help is on the Way. But it wasn't just an encouragement, it was a challenge as well. And in this sermon, there was a passage that was read, and it was John 4, verses 46 through 51. And I want to read it to you. It says, once more, he, being Jesus, visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a, a royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. And when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. And Jesus says to him and those around him, unless you people see the signs and wonders, you will never believe. And Jesus isn't just saying it to that royal official. He's saying it to the crowd that's gathered and said, hey, here's that Jesus. Let's see if he has another magic show for us. 
Jesus challenges him with that. And then the royal official draws his attention back and said, Sir, come down before my child dies. And then Jesus gives a command, go, followed by a promise, your son will live. And then the man took Jesus at his word and departed. And while he still was on his way, his servants met him with the news that the boy was living. And we read that passage, and it's so cleanly packaged, where this man comes pleading for help. God answers with a command and a promise. The man follows, and all is well. And we say, that's great, and we wish we could do that. But in our own lives, we don't know what we're intended for. Where am I to serve, God? How do you want to use me? I don't know what my purpose is. We're confused, we're lost, but understand that you were created for a perfect purpose. Understand that you were created with the intent to be used by God in a perfect way. When I think about myself and my own abilities, and I think about when God even created me, I, I know he had a sense of humor, right? Because I imagine it this way. As I was going down the, the assembly line in heaven, because I think that's how they do it. I don't know if Sunday school teaches that. But you go down the assembly line and, and being put together. I, I imagine it this way, that, that God said, hey, me. Because God can say, hey, me. He's a triune God, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So he says, hey, me. You know these humans we're creating. I got this idea. Why don't we take one? We'll give them great drive, persistence, the love to win, the enjoyment of being or, uh, active. But here's the catch. We give them no athletic ability whatsoever. <laughs> Wouldn't that be hilarious? And then God created me. <laughs> so, so if you were to see me on the basketball court, you would think I was fooling around and joking. Or you would think, you know, you, you might feel compelled to say, hey, Dan, it's not nice to make fun of people. To which I would reply, no, I'm just trying to play basketball. It's almost as if I, I rented this body, but I didn't read the instruction manual. Because I, I see it in my head so clearly, but I can't translate it to my hands and my feet. And so I understand that my purpose is not to be a professional athlete. I know that Joel Embiid of the 76ers did not have to, he doesn't have to worry about me taking his spot, right? So I know that that's not what my purpose is. But the purpose that each and every one of us has, that, that perfect purpose for which we were created, was to give others a glimpse of who God is. Understanding that we are flawed, imperfect vessels, yet vessels that can hold truth and hope and a certainty that we have eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we can pour that into someone else, another vessel who's also flawed. And our purpose is that. But we, we then know that God created us, right, for a specific purpose. We take that and we say, yes, I'm, I'm created for a purpose. And I'm loved. And God created me and he loves me. And that should embolden me then to follow him. But so often I find myself, and I'm sure many of you do too, that you, you are afraid to step. And instead of stepping, we, we cry out and we say, I need clarity in this situation. I need to know for certain how I should proceed. And it's not to say that praying for clarity is wrong. No, praying for clarity is a good thing. And, and, and sometimes God will provide you with clarity. But sometimes he won't. And then we end up having this paralysis of analysis where we ask God, give me an answer, please. And you pray and you look and you seek, but you never step. And instead, what you're challenged to do is have courage over clarity. Because so often we, we've prayed and, and asked so much and God's been saying the whole time, I need you to step. I need you to have courage. And I would, I would challenge that if you were to say, what is the opposite of faith? I would challenge that asking for clarity could be that. 
Because sometimes God's given us the answer, and yet we still seek for that, that clarity instead of that courageous step that needs to be taken. We say, God, I trust that this chair will hold me, but first let me see if it's uh, welded properly, if the seat's secure, if the back is upright. Okay, now I have faith and I'll have a seat. No, but we need to have that courage over that clarity. And we are told at an early age, right, to trust and obey. And we try to put on the face of, of being a good follower, to having that courage, to following God, trusting him. And oftentimes what we end up with is just that. It's just a facade. It's a show. It's not that we're, we're devious people or we're malicious or evil. We're just broken. And we do our best, and so we put on a show. And the reality is that what you see and what others see is not true. Perhaps you put on the best show of what you think a Christian should be, not understanding what this relationship is with God that you can have. You know, I've had over the years, I've had the opportunity to be on some t different TV shows. I have a friend, uh, Monica Mangan, who's in that industry. Her, her in-laws, her parents, Ken and Lori Mangan, attend here as well. And, and through the course of time, over the years, been able to have been part of one show was called uh, Knock It Off on ABC. Another show was a tiny home show on HGTV. Another was this Lowe's um, in, uh, kind of commercial slash miniseries and did a few sizzle reels and, and kind of pilot uh, episodes that would be uh, shown to networks to see if they'd want them. My wife was part of these with me. And what I realized in doing these is oftentimes what you see on TV is opposite of reality, right? I think some of you probably know that. And for the, um, the ABC show, for the Knock It Off show, we were redoing our, our master bedroom. And as we're redoing it, one of the things we got to do was um, take these, this piece of wood, and I had a, piece, a long piece of wood and a chop saw, and I'm cutting it, and cutting these basically these little wooden tiles, which we then paint and then glue to the front of the bureau. And it made like this mosaic tile, and, and it was so fun. I was in my zone. Like, I love working with my hands. I love working with power tools. And I'm chopping away, making this, and, and as I'm doing this, they say, cut scene. And they said, we need to reshoot that. I said, I'm sorry, what did I do? And I said, well, you know, you need to be unhappy. You need to not like doing all this cutting. You need to feel like you don't agree with the designer's ideas. And, and, and I'm saying, no, I like it. And so what you see on TV is different than the reality. Or in the HGTV show, they say, you know, you need to say you have a budget of 100000 to which I laughed at. I'm, I'm in ministry. I work for a nonprofit. But what you see on TV is different than the reality. Or for that Lowe's commercial, they had us living in this kind of run-down, not-great Jayco travel trailer on the back of this property behind this foreclosed home that had mold throughout, was run down, had animal feces in the ceilings where parts of the ceilings were falling down. It was disgusting. And that actually was all true. That's where my, my wife and kids were living in a trailer. That's the true part. What wasn't true, though, is when they shot this, it was supposed to be us making over a part of the house that a lot of this was shot during the winter. And so in some scenes, my wife and I are on camera wearing coats. And then in other scenes, some others are wearing uh, T-shirts out in the sunny weather. Because when we shot it, we shot it with about three inches of snow on the ground. But when it came to the final cut, Lois said, well, we think in the spring would be nicer. So they reshot all the exteriors. So again, what you see was not always the truth. And the reason I share that is because isn't Satan acting in so much in the same way with us? He lays before us these things that we take as reality. He lays before us these things that, that deviate us from the path that we should be on. You see, Satan cannot stop God's work. He cannot stop God's work. He wishes he could. But he has many tools. And one of those tools, one of those things he uses so often is doubt. 
And we may be following God and following him closely, and then all of a sudden Satan plants that seed of doubt in our hearts, and we water it with our fears and our anxieties. And we grow that weed until it becomes so big that it's impassable. We can't see through it. We can't see God through it. Satan has as many smoke and mirror shows that cloud our view, distort our vision to where we can't see God. And we cry out, God, give me clarity. And God says, you need to step through that to see me. Not sit there and simply pray for God to give you faith, but step and follow me. And in that, you'll experience me. And have that courage over clarity. And we go back to the passage. The royal official said, sir, come down before my child dies, pleading with him. And Jesus gives the command, go. And the promise, your son will live. And that next phrase in that passage, which is so challenging for me, it says, the man took him at his word, and he departed. He believed, and then he stepped. And so often we struggle with taking him at his word, taking Jesus God, at his word, what he's promised us, what he's laid before us. And yet we are afraid to step. You know, in our ministry, I faced with that same challenge often as we have stepped along the way and said, God, provide. And we saw how he provided when we started in India and then when we were looking for the, the, developing the program for the well and, and all these other things along the way as we're trying to step and follow God. I know that he's promised these things and I need to take him at his word and I need to step in faith. And as we were developing this program, this new program, the Worth It program, again, I knew it was something the community needed. I knew these women would benefit from it. But the challenge was we didn't have the funds to do it. And I shared with others and I said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. I know this is needed. I know it will impact women's lives that have been told lies their entire life. And this will impact them and give them truth and hope but we can't afford to do this. And the reality is we still can't afford to do it. And as I asked and, and, and sought counsel, some said you shouldn't. And others said continue to pray and ask for clarity. And then one of those people I called was my older brother, Dave. He's my older brother, but he's also what I call my, my Barnabas, my encourager. And he's also, he challenges me. And he, and he said this, he said, Dan, there's two farmers, right? And both farmers desperately need rain. And one farmer goes into his house and he falls on his knees and he pleads with God for rain. He said, but then there's a second farmer. And he takes his bag of seeds and he walks out to the field and he starts planting the seeds while he's praying. And he challenged me, he said, Dan, go and plant seeds. And so we did that and we stepped out in faith and started this program and saw the fruits of that as we began and as we were getting ready for the next session and looking to grow it and start in other areas. And we follow God and we trust that he'll provide. But understand that following God is never easy. This church is here today, not because it was easy, but because others followed God in times of uncertainty, in times of doubt, in times of difficulty, and nonetheless stepped and took God at his word. And we're challenged by that. And we need to remember that and recall that. I think of my own grandparents, Dave and Georgina Solt, still alive, 92 and 94 years old, who in their 20s had the world before them, right? They had many options at success. My, my grandfather had his PhD in engineering. My grandmother was a concert violinist, and yet they left here, the, the, the United States. They left and they went to Central America, and they went to Mexico, and they started building radio stations. 
radio stations one after another, brick by brick, actually cutting the, the bar and building tower by tower. And while on the mission field, they had six children and continued to do that work with six kids. And what's encouraging to me is that today, even 70 years later, those radio stations, some of them are still broadcasting the gospel across those areas. And it's because they took him at his word. And I think of my own parents who set a great example for me. Where as kids, we grew up in Telford, right? My mother worked in, in Grandview Hospital in the ICU. My father worked for Prudential. He uh, had some startup businesses. We had some properties. And we had, a, in, in Telford, we had a great, a great place for, as, you know, as kids, I look back, it was awesome, right? I wish we could have it again. We had 18 acres of land. We had several ponds that we'd go fishing in. We had an in-ground pool. We had barns we'd play in. We had a zip line. We had dirt bikes. We had all this fun stuff. And then yet one day, my parents called us together as siblings. I'm the youngest of four. And they sat us down and said, you know, all this stuff is fun. This stuff's great, but it's not important. It's not eternal. And they took our family from what was so fun and so enjoyable, but they said, let's do something that's eternal. And we moved to the third world country of Ukraine. And I grew up on a, on a dirt road. And, and I saw how my parents stepped in faith and started one church after another, after another, after another, and starting about five churches in total. And then going beyond that and started a, a Bible college that would graduate students who would then start more churches. And they did this because they took God at his word and they stepped out and it was not easy. It was difficult. It was full of heartache and challenge. And my father, he passed away on the mission field 15 years ago. And I had the challenge to go, I had the opportunity, I should say, to go back early this year and, and, and speak again at those same churches and speak again at that same Bible institute now 24, almost 25 years later, still seeing God's work continue. And it's that way only because they took him at his word. But why would you believe that you're created with a perfect purpose? Right? Why would you have courage over clarity in following him? Why would you take God at his word in the first place? Well, this is what comes down to my top 10 verse. Is having the right perspective. And we read that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. It says, For our light and momentary troubles, which there are many, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And we're challenged by that. That understanding, that change in our view, we should be looking through that lens, the eternal lens. The same lens that God sees us in as eternal beings. And I find myself in that same place, that same position I found myself several times over the years, needing to take God at his word, needing to see the world as he would have us see it. You know, when I stepped away from my job to no pay, in the world's eye, it was foolish. And it was hard. But God provided for us and then we got to a point where we had to sell our home to keep the ministry going and to fund it. And then we had no home, and then we had to rent a home. And then we were able to get this foreclosure that I shared about. We were looking for something with around an acre, and God gave us a, a little home with three acres that we love. It's a beautiful home today, and God provided. And when we were looking for starting this, this property for the well, where we could provide services to the women, we were thinking maybe three acres, a little bit of seclusion. And God provided 82 acres of land. 
And when we said we need a place where we can provide classes for these women, we need to build an education and counseling center, so many of you stepped up, businesses and individuals that came and supported us in that effort and helped us finish and complete this education and counseling center God provided. And when we needed a storefront that would generate income for the ministry and also provide employment for the women in our programs, God provided. Do you understand what I'm saying? God provides when you step and you follow him. But also understanding it's not easy when you do that. And we see these things around us, this church as well, as a reminder that there have been those that have come before us with the, the big picture in mind, with that right perspective. You know, if, if scripture isn't good enough for you, there's a quote that always encourages me. It's one that challenges me. It's been attributed to C.S. Lewis and maybe some others. It doesn't matter who said the quote, but it's clear in its message. And it goes like this. It says, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. Doesn't that just twist it just a little bit, how you see yourself in this world? Because so often we say, no, this is all that matters. This is what I'm worried about, this temporary vessel. But God says, no, first you're an eternal being created in the image of an eternal God with the purpose of using this temporary body to introduce others to me. And we flip it and we get so caught up in the temporary. We get so concerned about our body. We forget the promise that's been set before us. We forget the encouragement that's been given to us by Paul. Again, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, this is temporary. And what is unseen is eternal. And I get frustrated with myself because I should know better, right? I'm a dad. I have two kids. And I feel so often the interaction that I have with my children is the same interaction that we should be having with God or God has with us. If I were to ask you who here is taking their kids to Disney World or, or some fun place, who here? There's, there's some, man, there's not many good parents here. There's a couple, okay. <laughs> kids, you better get on your parents. I, I, my kids, we got to say, I'm a great parent, right, kids? They're not even listening. I, I took... <laughs> We took our kids to Disney World, and Anna at the time was about five, and Danny was about eight. And, and when we said this, we go, hey, we're going to go to Disney World. Are you excited? They got really excited. We're going to go in about three months. So we promised them something good. And we said, you know, we're going to go. But what we didn't do is we say, uh, we're going to go in three months. Here are the tickets. Hold them. Don't lose them. Did anyone here do that? I hope not. I don't see any hands. Good. We didn't do that, right? But what we did is we promised them something good, and we said, now you need to trust us. And so for three months, they had to wait on us. And then they had to trust us on that long drive down to Florida. They had to trust us as we pulled into the parking lot of Disney World, as we walked through the main entrance gate, all the way up until we got to that turnstile. They had no way to receive that great thing that was promised them until that very moment when we hand them the ticket and we let them go through. And God is the same way with us. We cry out. We say, God, I want it now. We stomp our feet. We fuss. We, we get angry. We say, God, I need this. I know I need this now. And God says, trust me as my child that I will provide in time. And I get frustrated because so often I forget that. And so I'm encouraged, too, to, to, to look to God and, and continue to step and follow. And I will continue to step and follow God until he decides otherwise. And I've seen him take this ministry and grow, and it's his, it's not mine. And I've seen it reach more women this year than any year prior. And I believe that God's also using this time to, to encourage me to, to be bold and ask for help. At the same time, plant seeds and continue to pray 
that he'll provide. That royal official, nothing would have happened. His son never would have been healed if he didn't step out in humility and ask for help. And you may be in that position too where you're saying, I don't know who this God is. This religion you're talking about, it's just, it's just a religion. No, it's, it's a relationship. It's not something you can pray and say, God, give me faith. It's something that says, God says, I've created this, I've created you, and I love you, you need to step in faith. And I would challenge you to, to seek God if you don't know who he is. And you might say, I want to live out my faith and understand there are many opportunities and ways to serve and live out your faith in this church and through the many ministries that are represented by this church. And I would encourage you to go out and get involved. And in that experience, God, as you serve. But understand this, that this sermon, right, this sermon isn't about just trust God and everything will be great. Just trust God, step in faith, and it'll be okay. No, that's not the reality. Because oftentimes, and, and many of you now are in a place where you say, I've cried out to God. I've given it over to God. And yet I've lost my job. Or I have anxiety. Or I wish I could make a friend. Or I wish my child would come back. Or I wish that relationship would be healed. Or really, I really wish God would take away this addiction that I hate, that I hate so much because it keeps tearing me down. Or God, just please, please, please heal this person. And instead God answers, not yet. Or sometimes he answers, no. And understand that it's in those moments, those dark and uncertain times when your faith is really tried. And understand that it's so important for in those moments of uncertainty that you continue to have faith for two very important reasons. Because when you're in those moments and you don't know what God has planned, and yet you trust in him. And when you're in those moments of darkness and despair, and you say, God, why, why, why? But I'm going to trust in you. It's in those moments that your faith grows stronger and is strengthened, and your relationship grows closer to God. And secondly, the other reason why is because when you are faithful in those moments, when you trust God in those times, when you have every reason to be doubtful, when you trust him in those times, Others are watching. Others around you are seeing how you respond. And others are seeing you look at this chaotic world. Look at this world around you that's full of confusion, distractions. And yet you see it with a clear perspective. An eternal one. A perspective that gives you clarity in that uncertain time and allows you to step in courage. It allows you to know that you're created with a purpose. It allows you to trust in God and take him at his word. And so what is that right perspective? Well, it's that eternal one. It's a reminder that we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Will you stand with me as we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we come to you and we, we, we beg that we have the courage to step in times when we, we need faith. And, and Lord, we oftentimes don't know what the next step means. And Lord, sometimes we cry out for clarity when we are required to have courage. 
And Lord, sometimes we ask for something and you say no, and it's so hard to continue to follow. But I, Lord, I pray for everyone here that we would have that faith, that we'd continue to look on the unseen, knowing that it's eternal and this temporary will pass. And I pray that we'd use this time, this opportunity to introduce others to you, that we take these broken, flawed vessels, Lord, and still pour truth onto others. And Lord, I thank you for everyone here. I pray that those that maybe don't know you, that they would seek you and find you. And those that maybe are lost and looking for hope would find it. And Lord, I thank you for everyone here, and I pray that you bless this day. We ask this in your name. Amen.